Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Eugene, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in week two of this message series that we're calling Practice Not Perfect. And over the coming weeks, basically, we're exploring the various practices of the church, our way of life together, things like worship and giving and community. And like Lisa said, this weekend, we're focusing on the practice of serving. Now, the church has been a part of practices for thousands of years, for centuries, and um, many of you will be familiar with the practice of Lent. Um, Lent is that 40-day period before a Holy Week, Good Friday, and Easter, where believers have prepared themselves, their hearts, uh, to commemorate the sufferings of Christ, um, to observe his death on Good Friday, and then to celebrate his glorious resurrection on Easter. Lent just kicked off this past week on Ash Wednesday. And so a few years ago, uh, my wife and I said, hey, you know, let's explain Lent to our kids. Let's kind of teach our boys what Lent is all about. And so uh, one night at our dinner table, we were just having conversation and, you know, I said, hey, boys, um, you know, we want to tell you a little bit about Lent. Uh, this is a 40-day period where we give up, where we, we sacrifice something we love because we love God even more. You know, these are things that we're not gonna uh, have for the next 40 days as we prepare for Easter. And so I told the boys, you know, so for dad, you know, because I love God so much, I'm gonna give up caffeine. No Diet Coke, no coffee for the next 40 days. And my kids were like, oh, wow, you really love God, don't you? And I was like, yes, I do, I do. And then my wife went next. My wife said, well, boys, um, mom, I'm gonna give up sweets. No dessert, no ice cream, no gummy bears. And the boys were like, wow, you love Jesus more than dad does. You're giving up gummy bears, right? Which she's like, yeah, you know, no sweets for the next 40 days. And so then we look back at our boys and we're like, do you guys wanna join us for Lent this year? And my oldest son at the time, Nathan, probably eight or nine years old, you know, was really thinking about it. You could tell he was kind of like staring down at the table and his brow was a little furrowed and kind of had his hand on his chin and you could tell he was like processing, you know, this whole idea of giving something up in the name of Jesus. And so Nathan goes, I, I wanna do Lent this year. Can I, can I do Lent? We said, yeah, you know, Nathan, what do you wanna give up next 40 days? What, what's something you wanna sacrifice for God? And, and Nathan said, I, I love God too and I'm gonna give up vegetables. Well, you know, some of us love God more than others, but with God's help, we can all experience a really uh, meaningful Lent season. Uh, that's what we're gonna talk about in the coming days. What are our practices together? Um, back in 1987, there was a, a story that was on every headline, on every news outlet, that really captured the attention of our country for days, for weeks. Uh, some of you will remember the story in 1987 of a little girl named Jessica McClure, who was 18 months old, just a little toddler, and she was playing in the backyard of her aunt's house in Midland, Texas. And while she was out there, she discovered uh, a hole in the ground and uh, playing around this hole accidentally fell into this hole, which actually wasn't just a hole, it was a, it was a well, it was a shaft that went deep down into the earth. And Jessica fell 22 feet underground in a well that was eight inches wide like this. I mean, th this would not even fit on my head. And Jessica slipped down 22 feet underground and was trapped in this well for days. So it was all hands on deck. Every rescue worker around was summoned. They all descended upon this backyard. And the mission was save and rescue little Jessica. 
And so people from the police department, the fire department, paramedics, doctors, nurses, child psychologists, uh, engineers, oil drillers, there was even a guy who showed up who had a unique condition where he was born without collarbone. And so he could squeeze into tight places, unlike the average person. And he says, I would love to go down and help uh, pull Jessica to safety. And they worked tirelessly for days on end. And 56 hours later, Jessica was in this shaft 56 hours all by herself, freezing cold, hungry, scared, in the dark, rescue workers, retrieved her. They drilled a parallel shaft all the way down, 22 feet, cut across 90 degrees, used a technology called water jet cutting so that they could safely bring her back to safety. I think we have some pictures of all of the people that came to her rescue, all of the people that came and worked in this yard for hours upon hours. Imagine hundreds of rescue workers times 56 hours. We're talking thousands of hours of a rescue attempt to save the life of one girl who was 18 years old. Her name was Jessica McClure, and we've got that picture of her being brought to safety. There couldn't have been enough people called to be a part of this rescue attempt. And so this morning, my question is this. How many people would it take to save a soul? How many people would it take to rescue a marriage that's headed in the wrong direction? How many people would it take to invest in the next generation of the church, students and kids, as they become the leaders of the world, as they become the leaders of the church for tomorrow? How many people would that take or require? And the answer to the question is this. All of us. Everyone here today, you and me, every single person, that's what it would take to help someone find and follow Jesus, to help a family that's experienced brokenness in their relationships, to mentor young people who are up and coming in this world that they might know Jesus and become his followers. It would take everyone here to do that. 2,000 years ago, Paul was writing to his friends, friends in Corinth, this church, this up-and-coming city that was filled with talented, ambitious, successful people, people who had come to this small town to make a name for themselves, and he wanted to remind them who they were in light of what Jesus had just done, overcoming death and sin and the grave. And he was calling them into their new identity that they were part of now, a mission, a way of life that was bigger than themselves. And so Paul writes to them in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And then Paul says, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you, every single one of you, is a part of it. 
Paul is saying that we are a part of something bigger than we could possibly ask or imagine. And it is the body of Christ. It is the church. It is God's people. And what Paul is saying here is so deep and profound. He's speaking to a society of people who are consumer-driven, who are individualistic, who are self-centered. I mean, thank God we've come a long way from that kind of society, haven't we? But Paul is reminding the church of at least three things here in this passage. He's saying, all of you, everyone has a gift. You're all a part of the body. You have a function. You have agency. There is something that you can do that God is enabling you to do for the work of the church to bless the world and the kingdom. My wife and I were uh, reflecting on John's message last week. John talked to us about spiritual gifts, and he listed a bunch of them and explained to us what they were, the gift of evangelism, the gift of intercession, the gift of encouragement. I mean, there were so many of these gifts, and as she and I were talking about it, my wife said, Esther was like, you know, I think my gifts are not just the things I know how to do or the things that I'm good at, but she said, my gifts are the things that give me joy the things that are exciting to be a part of and the things that I love doing, the things that kind of define my sense of purpose in the world. And I absolutely agree with that because the gifts are not just given to us for us to carry out duties, but maybe it's how God has wired us in terms of our sense of call, our passion. What gets you up every morning? What do you get excited about? What motivates you? to invest in the life of another person. Or flip the coin another way and ask the question this way, what angers you, what keeps you up at night? What are the things that you can't stand, like illiteracy or poverty or homelessness? And you're so driven to help make a difference in those areas. Maybe your passion and your gifts have been uniquely given to you to help solve those problems. And Paul is reminding the church, this is who you are. You're called to something greater. You're called to change the world. And every person has a gift. The second thing Paul is saying here is that every gift is important. There aren't any gifts that aren't important. Every gift has value. Paul says, now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I love the way that Paul is communicating this idea that the body is like talking, like the hand is saying, hey foot, you know, it's like, sucks to be you. I mean, you know, it's like they're talking to each other, but let's, let's play this out, let's, let's take it a little further. Let's imagine my body parts, if they could speak, what they would say to each other. Let's just imagine my lungs decided to start talking. I've got two of them, so, you know, they're, they're twins. One lung says, hey, bro, how's it going over there? You know, working hard today? You know, doing your job, pumping that oxygen? You know, I don't know if you ever think about it, but we never get any credit for what we do. Like, we're trapped up in this cage. No one ever sees us. If anything, the body's just complaining all the time that we're not working hard enough, like when they go on walks or a hike or go to the gym, they're always complaining that we're not carrying our weight. I mean, look at the nose. It just sits there on the face. It does nothing. It just has holes. 
It's an emergency if there's a pimple or if it's bleeding. Stop what you're doing. Stop the bleeding. But, but we're constantly working around the clock, nonstop, and no one ever says thank you to us. We're not important. No one even sees us. I've got an idea. What if we take a break? What if we just stop what we're doing and for a little while and kick back and relax and just stop pumping air? What if we did that? Now, if my lungs were having that conversation right now, I'd be in serious trouble. I would be in deep trouble right now. But thank God, my lungs are working exactly the way they're supposed to. And when my body works the way that it's designed to work, they call that healthy. They call that strong. They call that working. And in the same way, the church, the body of Christ, when all of us are living in to the gifts and abilities that God has given us, we are a healthy church. We are a church that is thriving and growing when everyone is utilizing their gifts. They're leaning into their passion and their, and their desires, their purpose, and they're serving one another. That's what makes a church healthy and strong. So Paul says everyone has a gift and every gift is important, and then Paul says, Everyone has a calling. Everyone has a calling to ministry. And ministry, it's not just what pastors get to do or people who work at a church. Ministry is when we use our gifts to meet the needs of others. When we take our skills or our passions and we serve other people, that's ministry. And that's important to understand because it's easy to just say, well, the pastors do the ministry. The missionaries or the church workers, or the church, they, they do the ministry, we just stand back and kind of cheer them on and support. No, we all do ministry. And the reason why this is important is because God has gifted you and placed you in a, in a time and a place specifically in his wisdom to bless people only you can bless, to serve people only you could serve, to encourage someone only you can encourage because I don't know who that person is. I don't work where you work. I don't live where you live. I don't know who you know, but God in his wisdom has put you in the lives of others with your experiences and your skills and your abilities for such a time as this to serve, to love, to bless. And every one of you is important. All of you are necessary. And collectively, we have a call to join God in the work that he is doing in redeeming and reconciling the world to himself. We get to be a part of that great work. We get to be a part of his mission together. And that's what I love so much about our church, how we lean into these opportunities, how we show up with our gifts, how we serve and bless one another. And I know so many of you are doing that and we're so grateful for you. You're serving in such um, meaningful ways, whether it's seen or unseen, whether you're a nose or a lung or a hand or a foot, you know your role, you know your part, and you serve the Lord with joy. But I wanna actually just talk about some ways and some places where we can use our gifts. Um, so, some ways we can activate 
our call and, and, and apply the gifts that God has given us. And you know, really an easy place to start, an obvious place to start is right here in the church. We can use our gifts, right? we can serve right here. You know, it takes hundreds of people every weekend to do what we do right now, to do church. Somebody has to turn on the lights and move them around. We've got a band that comes up and they, they serve every weekend using their musical talents and abilities. From parking lot to pew back to parking lot, there are people here to greet you and point you to the sanctuary or to the check-in station or where you might be going. There are people who serve coffee and, 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 and prepare the donuts. We've got an army of people that serve not in this room but in those rooms next to this room in the kids' ministry. We've got people who have the gift of teaching, who teach the Bible in creative and exciting ways to young people so that the Bible would come alive to them. We have, we have adults who volunteer with fourth and fifth graders, believe it or not, to be their life group leaders and help unpack the truth of scripture and apply it to their lives and to, to pray for them. We have people who hold babies for an hour every weekend so that their mom or dad or both can come into the service and worship for an hour. I see a hand back there, amen. We have people who volunteer as buddies to come alongside our friends with disabilities so that they also can be a part of our church community. And those are just some of the things we see. I mean, imagine the things that we don't see where everyone is using their gift or serving in some way, shape, or form so that we can have church. I think about, uh, I think about Marshall who, uh, Loves people, loves raging extrovert, dentist by day, uh, but uh, years ago he decided that he wanted to help pioneer the launch of one of our Menlo campuses. And he decided uh, that he wanted to help launch a campus and um, he, he's the kind of guy who'd come to church on a weekend and he'd stay for like three services because you know, he knew that he had friends at all three services and he just wanted to see them and connect and if he just went to one service and went home then he just felt incomplete so he kind of stayed for like one and a half or two and a half or sometimes the whole day and he just loved people and one time he came up to me and he says, you know, Eugene, I've been a part of several churches in my life but every church that I've ever been a part of, their coffee is terrible. Right? He brought that to my attention. I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm the pastor. I can't do anything. But he said, what if our church had good coffee? <laughs> what if the coffee at our church was so good that when somebody came to our church and they poured a cup of coffee, they wouldn't just go back to their car and go home, but they would slow down and enjoy the coffee, maybe with a friend or somebody that they're meeting for the first time. And maybe that coffee would lead to a conversation. And maybe that conversation would lead to a relationship or build community. What if the coffee was that good? And so Marshall dedicated himself to learning the art of how to pour the perfect cup of espresso. And then he recruited an army of volunteers. They called themselves the baristas. And their mission was to make great coffee, not just so we could save a few bucks and skip by Pete's, but so that when people came to church, they could enjoy a good cup of coffee and maybe enter into a relationship or a conversation or slow down long enough to hear about an issue somebody's wrestling with or to offer a prayer of blessing. You see, for Marshall, he took something he loved something he was interested in, some skills, that he, and he was a dentist, and he brought his gifts to the church to help create community. And any one of us here can do that. 
Marshall passed away a few years ago, and at his memorial, his celebration of life, we talked about all of the lives he touched. People remarked how much of a loving person he was, and we could not talk about Marshall without talking about his coffee ministry because so many relationships were formed and bonded over coffee. So that's one way, that's one person using their gifts to serve the church, but here's the thing, we can serve beyond the weekend outside the four walls of our church as well. We can serve in our communities. And uh, Lisa just talked about Serve Your City coming up in a couple of weeks where we're organizing projects from San Francisco to San Jose where we can, uh, we can build a garden, we can uh, build a house, we can paint a building, we can uh, assemble food packs, we can encourage our friends uh, who might be in a situation of homelessness and we can come alongside them and work with them. Uh, there are so many things that we can do, and, and, and maybe you're good at building things. You're good with a hammer and a saw, and, 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 and build. Maybe, maybe we could use your gifts. Maybe you're passionate about homelessness, and you just feel like everybody needs a roof over their head, and so there's an opportunity to be involved with an organization that is committed to ending the cycle of homelessness in the Bay Area, and you can be involved in that. And these are just some of the partners that we work with, but there are so many more you know. There are nonprofit organizations and NGOs that are committed to tackling the world's biggest problems, and, and you are passionate about joining them in their effort and in their cause to make a difference. And you can use your gifts and experiences and those passions to make a difference. I think about another person here at our church. His name is Gilbert. Gilbert is uh, a retired engineer. He was... Uh, fortunate to be a part of a few companies that were really successful, grew and went IPO. And so he was able to kind of retire a little earlier. And instead of just buying a nice vacation home on the beach, sitting back in the sand, drinking lemonade all day, he decided that he was going to invest his time into people, into communities. And so he joined the board of the school council in his neighborhood. And he's served for several years now because he wanted to help create environments where young people, where students could come and thrive and get a great education. And so this is a labor of love. He doesn't get paid to do it. It's a thankless job, but he gives himself to this cause. And then another thing that Gilbert does with a lot of his workplace skills that he was able to acquire over years, I mean, he was a successful leader, engineer, manager, and so every week Gilbert gets together with a community of people who are in between jobs people who are looking for their next job or their next step. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, uh, but that can be a difficult season for some people. When you're looking for work or you're looking for a job and you know, you're just experiencing rejection after rejection and you're starting to wonder, you know, gosh, do I have nothing to contribute? And it's a pretty discouraging place to be. And so Gilbert gathers together every week with a group of people who are in that season and he meets with them to encourage them, to listen, to pray. Uh, they network when they're together. They share different job listings and postings and opportunities. They review one another's resumes. And they say, you know, hey, what if you did this or that? Or they kind of uh, coach each other in the art of interviewing uh, to encourage each other to get back into the workforce. And people come in and out of this group all the time because people come in, they find jobs, and they leave, and they work, and... And Gilbert has helped dozens and dozens of people using some of his former marketplace skills to help people find meaningful work. 
That's one of the ways that he serves. So there are so many ways that we can serve beyond the weekend, beyond the walls of our church, in our communities, and we can serve around the world. We can serve any country, any group of people. And Menlo is committed to serving the spiritual, emotional, physical needs of individuals, communities, and families that are at risk all over the world. Every year, our church organizes a dozen some odd mission trips to give people an opportunity to see God at work and to join him in some other part of the world. And many of you just do this on your own. You travel on your own, you visit places, and you know, God puts a burden on your heart and you bless that community or you find ways to serve or make a difference there. Just a few weeks ago, we had uh, almost 200 high school students from our church go down to Mexicali for five days. And we had about 90 adult volunteers that went along with them to drive vans and help translate and be life group leaders. We had hundreds of people from our church go down to join God in encouraging the churches and pastors in this small little community for five days. I'm so proud of our students for just going in faith and maybe not knowing what they can do or say to make a difference, but just trusting that God will work through them. God will use their abilities. God will reveal their spiritual gifts as they step out in faith together. I think about um, a woman named Sarah who also comes to our church, and she has a heart for international students. Um, And rather than traveling all over the world to meet college students, uh, they come here, actually. They, They come here to study at the local colleges and universities here. They come from all over the world to get an education, to get their degrees, to get trained and do research. And so Sarah just goes out onto these local campuses, and she... Uh, meets with people one-on-one for coffee or conversation. She knows that there are people from around the world that are lonely, that are looking for community or friendship, people that are far from their families or far from home. And especially around the holidays, Sarah will organize gatherings around Thanksgiving or Christmas or the 4th of July. When everybody else abandons the campus and goes off to these things, she creates gatherings where people can come and be in a community together. She uses her gifts of hospitality and, um, and encouragement to help people feel like they're part of a community. And many of these students are spiritually seeking or open to learning about God, uh, to hear the gospel. And so Sarah's had some opportunities to even share her faith and share the gospel with people. Uh, this is all driven by her heart to serve students from around the world, and she doesn't have to go anywhere to do it. She's making a global impact by investing her time and her abilities to bless other people. These are some of the ways, and these are some of the people, and I know many of you are engaged in things like this, and I bet you we could spend all day, all night, just talking about different people who are using their gifts where they are, where God has put them, because all of us have been called. All of us are critical to the mission that God has invited us to be a part of. And everyone here is important. Every gift matters. I want to close with a story um, about this book that's in in my library. I think it used to be green, but it's now lime or yellow, and it's kind of faded, and it's a small book. And this is um, a Bible commentary on the book of Haggai and Malachi, who were two prophets in the Old Testament. And... If you know pastors, um, 
our shelves are littered with commentaries. I've got over 100 commentaries. This is just one of them, and this is probably the smallest one I have, and I rarely use this for study because I'm usually just not teaching on Haggai and Malachi, but this is in my library, and I would say it's probably the most significant book in my library on my bookshelf out of all the books that I have because of when I received it and who I got it from, and I want to tell you who that was because on the inside of this book on the cover, there's a note, and I want to read the note to you. It says this, Eugene, I hope that this small investment in the continued spiritual growth of a fellow Christian will bring blessings to you throughout your life. Praise and thank God always. Mr. Randall, March 7, 1992. 27 years ago, Mr. Randall, Jim, gave me this book as a small investment in my continued spiritual growth. And Jim didn't know this, and I didn't know this, but later that summer in 1992, I gave my life to Jesus as a sophomore in high school. Jim didn't know this, I didn't know this, but after college, I would go to seminary and study Greek, Hebrew. I would get commentaries from Genesis to Revelation. I'd study theology and church history and become a pastor. And it started with a small investment in my life. And Jim wasn't the only one who made a small investment in my life. Kathy made a small investment in my life when I was five. She was my Sunday school teacher, and I didn't want to go to church. It was boring and scary, but every time I saw Kathy, she had a smile from ear to ear, and she would get down on her knees and hug me and welcome me to church, and she made me want to be there. And then I think about Juhan, who uh, invested in me when I was going through puberty and adolescence, and he would teach me how to play tennis and basketball, and then we'd always go out to eat. And he invested in a small group of boys like me who were growing up and trying to figure out who we were and, and what we were supposed to do with our lives. I, I think about Andrew, who taught me how to play the guitar and the drums. Don't ever ask me to play the guitar or the drums, but Andrew taught me how to play the guitar and the drums when I was in high school, and I joined the band and it made me want to go to church. I think about Esther, who was a dermatologist, and she was my Bible study leader in college. For three years, we studied um, this Bible study called The Navigators, and after three years, I had memorized 60 Bible verses. Esther invested in me and gave me a love for the scriptures. And I could go on and on and on. I could name people who have made small investments in my life who have changed me forever. And I bet if I were to interview everyone in this room, you could come up with people who've invested in you, who spent time with you, who listened to you, who took you out for coffee, taught you how to do something you didn't know how to do, encouraged you, believed in you, called you out of your comfort zone, invited you to be a part of the ministry, to be a part of the church, to walk across the room and to show hospitality to that new person, to pray for a neighbor, to encourage a coworker. You have not only received, but I know you've also given. So my question as we end today is, what small investment are you ready to make in the life of someone in your life? Today, this week, tomorrow. Because at the end of our lives, when all is said and done and we go from this life to the next, I don't think Jesus is gonna sit back and say, wow, look at you. Look at all those degrees you earned. Way to go. 
Look at all that money in your portfolio. Man, you, you made the right choices. Look at all those friends who showed up at your memorial. I don't think those are the things that Jesus is gonna delight in. I think he's gonna look back on our lives and he's gonna look at how we served with our time and our talent. And the words that we all wanna hear on that day would be, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that we can gather in a place like this every week to be reminded of your great love for us, that no matter what we've done or where we've been this past week, that we can come back to you anytime and your love welcomes us. Your love renews us, it heals us, it forms us and it shapes us. But God, we are so grateful that it doesn't end there but that you invite us to participate with you and the work that you are doing in this world, in this community, in this church. And all of us here, you have given us not only the opportunity, but the gifts to be a part of loving others. And so, Jesus, today we say yes to that invitation. We step out in faith. We make little investments, small investments. We take steps of faith, trusting that you're really the one that can change a heart. You're really the one, the only one that can save a soul. You invite us to be a part of that work. And so we thank you for that gracious invitation and we say yes to you today. And we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen.